Our scripture reading this morning is from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, just thank you for um, just this beautiful spring day that we can gather together as a body, as a family, um, and just worship you. Um, Lord, I pray for this um, message that Mark's giving, that it be your words. Um, through the Holy Spirit, through him, and not Mark's words. I pray that you would just bless his study um, that he's um, done through this week. Um, Just open our hearts, Lord. Um, Give us a humble spirit that we may um, grow closer to you and learn more about you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be together again as God's people to be able to study His Word. Um, uh, next weekend is Memorial Day weekend, right? Isn't that, or is it two weeks from now? It's two weeks from now. The reason I'm only thinking of this is because we're leaving on vacation on Friday and we're gone for a whole week. So, and I think like three fourths of you guys are gone next Sunday, from what I understand. Um, so, we have uh, Richard Lindstrom's going to come in, he's going to speak. For, uh, for me, uh, for us, or to us as a, as a church, and so pray for him as he's preparing this week for that message, um, and then uh, pray for everybody who's going to be on vacation or up in the Boundary Waters is the big trip this week, and so uh, pray that that's, that's safe uh, for them and they come back to us, but that they really enjoy, and well, whoever's gone and us too, that we would just really enjoy God, we would enjoy His creation and um, family and friends and the beautiful weather, right? Not 100 mile an hour winds anywhere. So we are continuing in Titus chapter 2. We've really been wrestling through, or the the first chapter is really about the importance of good preaching and good teaching and good theology, and theology is just the study of God. Those three things, good preaching, good teaching, good theology, is central to the message of the book of Titus. And so it's a preaching and a teaching and an understanding of a God which is centered around God, not around me. And so that changes the questions that we have to ask when it comes to good preaching and good teaching and good theology. What does God desire from my life? Not what do I want to get from God? Am I saved from the wrath of God for, for my sins by my own works or by the works of God himself. 
and of his son. How, how does my life point to, uh, who does my life point to? Does it point to me and my greatness or does it point to God and his greatness? And so churches need godly elders who hold firm to and teach the sound doctrine of tr- and trustworthy word of God so that they may recognize and rebuke sharply not only those who teach false doctrine, teach false teaching, but those who believe that false teaching. And this is not done out of power and control, but for the salvation of lives from eternal death to eternal life. False teaching leads to eternal death. Sound teaching leads to eternal life. Now, it's not the teaching itself that saves, but the message which is why that message has to be founded upon the Word of God as He has revealed to us in His Word, or else too easily it becomes about us and what we like or don't like or what we feel and don't feel when it comes to salvation. And because eternal destinies are at stake, increasing the importance of godly preaching and teaching that's founded upon the Word of God is essential to a healthy church. But there's another reason for teaching what is consistent with sound doctrine. There's another reason for that, and that's the focus of our passage this morning. It would be easy to read this list of heart and character traits and rightfully believe that one should strive to fulfill these traits in our own lives. Or perhaps we wonder why young women are given five different traits while young men are only given one. We're not told, so we we can't know exactly why he did that. Or that young women are to be trained to be, quote-unquote, working at home. But as a woman, you work outside the home. How are you supposed to deal with that? Well, he's actually not talking about being a stay-at-home mom, but he's talking about not being a busybody who spends time outside the home, which neglects the family. We're going to get to the traits eventually. But to focus solely on those traits... To, to focus solely on them is to miss the overarching emphasis that God, through Paul, is trying to get across to the church, to Titus and then to the church, and eventually then getting across to us. To get to that emphasis then, I want to ask four questions, and if you're taking notes, you see those four questions on the insert. What is sound doctrine? Who is taught sound doctrine? What is the cost of living out that sound doctrine? And what is the purpose of teaching and living out sound doctrine? So what is sound doctrine? Simply put, a doctrine or a teaching, it's a set of teachings or instructions that are related to our particular subject. And so for Christians... Doctrine is a set of teaching or instructions that has been passed down to us through Scripture, through the Bible, from generation to generation. It's what Jude 3 calls the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So in other words, as a Christian, my understanding of God, our understanding of God is given through and founded upon the Word of God not on church or personal traditions. Because those shift depending on the church, depending on the culture, depending on the situation of life. So what is sound doctrine? If that's what doctrine is, then what is sound doctrine? It is literally 
healthy teaching. And this may be a a helpful illustration for us. Coming to a river, just imagine in your mind, you come to a river and you have two options. One footbridge looks old and tired. Much of the wood is missing from rot and the smell of decay is in the air. And the other footbridge looks new with the wood having fresh green look to it. And the air is filled with that smell of freshly cut wood. It has just been built. So which bridge should you choose to cross the river? The answer is the new one, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. Like, who would want to walk across a rotting bridge? Why? Because the healthy bridge is healthy and strong, while the other bridge looks like it's about to fall apart the moment that you put foot on it. And I like to live and not get wet or die, depending on the height of the bridge. One bridge is healthy, and one bridge is sick, if you want to call it that. So for the Christian, sound doctrine is spiritually healthy teaching that is founded upon what Paul causes, causes, calls the trustworthy word of God. We can trust what God says in his word. False doctrine is spiritually unhealthy teaching, which is founded upon works or feelings or accolades or power or prestige or any other worldly virtue or desire. We saw last week how teachers like the circumcision party were teaching things for their own shameful gain. They they were saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus to be saved, but he's not enough. You also need to be circumcised. So one really easy way is if if you hear a teaching, you go, okay, is it the gospel for salvation? We are saved by grace, not by works. Or is it a gospel plus? Is it Jesus plus? It's great that you believe in Jesus, But you also, in order to go to heaven, need to do this or do that or give a certain amount of money or uh, spend enough time with this group of people or whatever it may be. Is it a Jesus plus? That is a false gospel. Salvation is found through Christ alone so that we cannot boast Paul is imploring Titus and other elders that he's appointing in the church, that the church appoints not to teach like those false teachers. Instead, teach what accords with sound, healthy, God-glorifying doctrine that is founded upon this, not this, and not this. Now, these are there, right? I don't know a true believer who does not enjoy Christ. There are feelings that come about it. And I do not know a, Christ, a Christian who does not think when they read Scripture. Some more in depth than some others. You need both of them, but we cannot found our understanding of God and what we believe based on my feelings or your feelings or your intellect, or my intellect. Because if we do that, uh, just take intellect, for instance. If all we're doing is thinking and thinking and thinking, I know a lot of people who are super, super smart who really aren't smart. 
They have a lot of knowledge, but they can't apply it. Or people who, who uh, if we focus too much on our feelings, maybe yesterday was a really bad day, or you had a bad morning. Anybody had that, and that affects your relationships with other people? Well, the same thing happens when we read Scripture. If I'm super depressed or super angry, and I read a passage of Scripture, I'm going to see it through that lens. And as a Christian, we have to fight that. Not push it aside and say it doesn't matter. We need to think and we need to feel, but that is not what our understanding of God is founded upon. So, if that's what sound doctrine is, then who are these elders or who is Titus supposed to teach? Now, I wrestled with this, quite a, uh, this question quite a bit this past week because Paul speaks to six different individuals or groups of people in these 10 verses. He begins this section by speaking to Titus and the other uh, elders of the churches. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, right at the beginning, right? And then he spends time speaking to four different groups, older men and older women, younger women, and then younger men. And then he speaks again to Titus in verses seven through eight before addressing bond servants and slaves who are totally responsible to and dependent upon another person who Paul calls their master. It seems like Paul is just kind of all over the place, right? Like, what? well, hey, don't forget about these people. Oh yeah, remember, remember these people in the church? We gotta, I gotta talk to them too. But that's not how Paul writes. Paul is very methodical. He's logical. He's reasonable in how and what he writes. And so we can say with confidence that Paul has a purpose in what he's saying. So why is he addressing so many different people, so many different groups of people, and he gives some character traits uh, more to one group than to another? Well, by touching on every individual of every age within the church, he's, he's telling Titus and the elders not to teach only men, not to teach only women, but all men, all women, including those who are bondservants and slaves. Because sound doctrine is for all people who are Christians. It doesn't simply apply to elders, or it doesn't simply apply to young men or young women. It doesn't simply apply to slaves. If you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying sound doctrine is for you. No matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what your socioeconomic situation is, this sound doctrine is for you to be lived out daily where you are, when you are, and how you are if you claim to be a Christian. So we can't say, well, I can ignore the traits that are given to the young women because I'm a young man and he just tells me to be self-controlled, which by the way, basically encompasses everything, right? We can't do that. Paul is saying this doctrine is for everyone. This sound doctrine is for everyone. And on top of that, he's also saying, which is the next question, if you are a Christian and this doctrine is for you, guess what? It comes at a cost. Because there is a cost to living out 
sound doctrine founded upon the Word of God. Now, again, he's not giving, an, Paul's not giving an exhaustive list of healthy spiritual traits. That's, he does that even with the, uh, the different types of spiritual gifts. He doesn't touch on every single gift. And this is why, though it's good and right to be sober-minded and self-controlled and the, and the like, this list of traits is not the focus. When we begin to just look at the traits and say, well, okay, I'm a I'm a, an older man, so I need to do these things. The, the tendency then is we become legalistic or moralistic. Legalistic as in like, I, I have to do this in order to be saved. Or moralistic as in like, if I'm not doing this today, then I must not be saved. That's not Paul's point. That's not what he's trying to get at. Those are all good things. And if we are lacking in self-control, Paul is saying, yeah, maybe you need to work on that a little bit or a lot. But these traits, they point to the fact that sound doctrine, sound teaching from the Word of God transforms lives. These Cretans that Titus is teaching, that he's appointing his elders within the church, that he's speaking the gospel message to in these churches, They were once all idolaters and unbelievers who lived for their own passions and their own fleshly desires. And we all are or once were in the exact same boat. That's not my words. This says that's God's word. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. This is... <clears throat> Excuse me, this is what he says. It's actually four and five. Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five. He says, But God. Wait, no, that's missing here. Chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses in sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's what we once were if we were Christians. We were all There, we were dead in our sins. We were living for ourselves. We were allowing the passions of our flesh, the passions of our worldly heart, what we desired, what we wanted. They were ruling us. They were were deciding what we would choose and not choose, how we would live and not live. We were all in that same boat. Or perhaps you're in that boat right at this moment. But then we heard the gospel message and something happened. Something shifted because in the case of these Cretans, when they believed the truth of the gospel which was spoken by Paul and Titus, they were made alive by the power of God. And this is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. This is how it reads, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved. So Paul is saying, Cretans, Titus, Mark, Elm Creek, you have been changed. When you believe the gospel by the power of God alone, he comes and he changes us. They were no longer to live for themselves and for their desires, but for the one who bought them at a price. And being a Christian is more than just receiving eternal life. That's awesome. That's a, that's a huge part of what it means to be a believer. I am no longer dead. I am no longer going to receive eternal death in hell, but I'm going to have eternal life with my Savior in heaven. Praise God. But there's more to it than just that. I would, I would say that's your... I call it your fire insurance. I might be diminishing it a little bit. Like people get really excited. I'm not going to hell. I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. And that's what's exciting. And then they go off and they live their own life, however they desire and however they want. That's not what it means to be a Christian. It means striving to be self-controlled instead of self-indulgent. It means being dignified instead of degrading or pure instead of tainted kind instead of cruel, submissive instead of controlling, peaceable instead of argumentative, reverent instead of disrespectful. And not just because your boss is a nice person or you like what your parents are asking you to do. Kids, this belongs to you too. If you are a believer, it's not about being perfect. But if you are a believer in Christ, that means you are being changed. To be a Christian is to be transformed and live a life which reveals that transformation to all who know us. The cost of living out sound doctrine is a life that is lived for Him and not for us. That means we can't make decisions in our life based off of simply what do I desire. Yesterday, we went to Collins. It's the first time in like a year I've been there. Why? Have I not desired to go to Collins? If you think that's true, you've never been to Collins. It's because I love it so much that I have decided not to go to Collins so often, but I enjoyed every single moment of it yesterday. I enjoyed every single bite of that ice cream. Oh, it was, it was awesome. What's the same for a Christian life? You begin to have self-control. You begin to be self-disciplined. Because as a Christian, it costs us something when we follow Christ. It might be something as small as like self-control and not eating so much ice cream, but maybe it's making hard decisions like putting up with a bad boss and a horrible boss in order to love on them more. Or maybe it's making sure that the people that you're hanging out with are not the ones who are influencing you spending less time with those who live according to the way of this world. That doesn't mean getting rid of them, but um, even as a kid, I remember my dad saying, I don't mind who your friends are, but I do mind who your best friends are. We are to be in the world, but not of it. 
it will cost us as Christians should we live out sound doctrine. And so what's the purpose? What's the end game of teaching and living out this sound doctrine? Is it for our own health? Is, is it so that we might be happy and content to have peace? Is it so that people will like us? I mean, maybe sometimes it's there, but that is not the purpose. It's not what Paul says. Ultimately, the, the teaching and living out of sound doctrine is for God's glory, not ours. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, it says that elders are to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, that the elder may be able to give instruction in, give instruction in sound doctrine. And so sound doctrine is found in the trustworthy word of God. Or in our verses today, young women are called to live out good traits that the word of God may not be reviled, it says. Titus himself is to show godly traits so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And the bondservants are called to show everyone, not just their masters, everyone, their good faith, quote, so that in everything they may adorn, literally that means decorate or to give credit to the doctrine of God, our Savior. And so as Christians, our transformed lives, no matter how old we are, whether we're a young believer, like literally five, six, ten years old, or, or 110, whether we are a mature believer or a young believer, we just came to Christ or we're just slowly growing. If we are a Christian, our transformed lives are to adorn and make beautiful the word of God to those around us. Now, one quick disclaimer, that does not mean they like it. It does not mean that they like it when they hear it or they see it. They may absolutely disregard disregard the word of God. They may hate the word of God. In fact, they probably will hate the word of God, but they could never say, well, you don't really believe what God teaches. There's a, there's a reason why Titus has opponents, why Christianity has opponents. That's a word that is used by Paul, so our opponents can say nothing bad about you. That means the godly character of Titus and the Christians, their lives their godly character is evident, and people are opposing them because of that. Now, they could try to say bad things about the church and about, about Christianity, but the question is, is, are they living out what's actually taught in God's Word? And so, as Christians, our transformed lives are to adorn and make beautiful the Word of God to those around us, and being that it is God's Word, then He is given the glory for saving and transforming us. Godly church elders teach sound doctrine from the trustworthy word of God. And that sound doctrine leads to transformed lives which are apparent to everyone who sees them. Those transformed lives point to, not to us, but to the one who saved and changed us, as Paul says, to God our Savior. He is given the glory because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our lives as God's people are to give God the glory and point others to the trustworthy word of God, which leads to eternal life. Elm Creek does not exist for ourselves. We get lots of benefits. I love coming on Sunday morning. I love worshiping with my church family. But ultimately, we don't meet for us. We meet to give God glory, not only in this moment as we're worshiping Him, but to learn from each other, to learn from the Word of God so that we might be able to go out and live this out, live this life, live this transformed life. So everybody around us and the people who know us, especially, will say, yeah, I might not agree with Mark. I might not agree with so-and-so, but I got to tell you, they've got integrity because they're actually living out what they believe. They're not compromising. So, Here's some questions. Here's the application, right? We want some applicant. What does this mean for us? Well, here's some questions that we could ask ourselves. What are my faith in and understanding of God founded upon? How do I know who God is? Do I turn to the Word of God, the trustworthy Word of God, or am I seeking it somewhere else? Am I willing to submit to the Word of God and be transformed by the work of God in my life? As I look at my own life, am I being transformed, even if it's ever so painfully slowly, to live a life which strives to adorn and give credit to the teachings of the Word of God and ultimately to God Himself? As others look at my life, more specifically, the people actually know me, do they see a transformed life which points to the word of God and gives glory to him or or someone who puts on the mask of God-centered faithfulness on Sunday while living a life that is self-focused every other day of the week? If a stranger to, were to walk into this service this morning, if a stranger were to walk into a small group that we hold or a, a Bible study or even a conversation that we are having over coffee, two people having over coffee, would they witness lives which strive to have God's trustworthy word as their foundation and understanding of God? Or is there something else that they would say, oh, That's where you get your understanding of faith. This is how you understand God. See, God calls his people to transformed lives. Not just to be different. That's part of it. I mean, it's part of the transformation, right? God calls his people to transformed lives. In other words, if you are a Christian, you will be transformed. No exceptions. Remember, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, it's like my dad always says, don't ever use absolutes. Don't use always or never. And sometimes always doesn't count, right? 
Don't use those in your normal conversations. And there's very few times in your life where you can use those absolutes. And according to the word of God, if you believe, you will be changed. Now, sometimes that's like super different, right? Like immediately there's this massive change in your life. And you were an alcoholic and suddenly you don't even crave alcohol anymore or whatever. There's this massive change, but 99.99999% of the people that I've talked to, including myself, it is a slow change. It is a slow transformation. It is a daily dying to yourself, fighting sin, fighting the desire to allow my own fleshly desires to control me. You know, Paul says, he talks about this battle that's waging the spirit and the flesh within each of us as Christians. And some days we fail to fight strong enough and we give in to the fleshly desires. That doesn't change the fact that we're, we're not Christians, that we're not God's people, that we're not God's children, but then God uses that sin to transform us and to grow us and to learn. How I like to say is, take the fruit of the Spirit, take kindness. Are you more kind now than you were five years ago or whenever it was before you were a believer? If you've been a believer for 50 years, are you more patient now than you were? And not just because you've gotten older, <laughs> but you're more patient now than you were 50 years ago. Are you more loving and gentle now than you were a month ago? God will transform us. He has to. As we grow to strive to live for Him more and more, and He does that in us. His power is in us. He has taken what is dead and made us alive. Sometimes, oh, almost, almost always, it is a long, long, slow, lifelong process that is painful, but oh, it is ever so good as a Christian. So God calls His people to transform lives, and God appoints godly elders to teach what accords with sound doctrine so that the people of God, so that you and me, may live out that transformed life that God calls us to live. Again, this is not legalism. Like if, if you're struggling with the sin right now and you're a believer in Christ, guess what? You're a believer in Christ. You are a child of God. That does not change. Nothing can snatch you out of the hands of God once you're in there. You will never lose your salvation. But if you despise the word of God, if you despise his commands, then there is a serious danger that you never were in his palm. You were never in his family. But if you're there, there is nothing that the blood of Christ did not cover and get rid of. There's no sin. There's no sin that he did not cover and forgive. Nothing can snatch us out of his hands. He calls us to these transformed lives. He calls us to live as he desires us. He calls godly elders, as this passage is speaking of, in order to make sure 
that as God's people that we are living not by what Elm Creek's constitution says, but what God's covenant promise says in His Word. And so may we be a church, may we be a church corporately in the things that we do and the ministries that we have, but individually. May we be a church who adorns the doctrine of God our Savior for His glory and not for our own. Now, Father, I pray that this is true for us, that this would be true for us. I thank you. I thank you, God, that as your people, nothing can remove us. No power on earth, no power in heaven. Nothing can remove us from your love as your people. And yet, Father, we, we strive to live for you. Some days we, we fail and some days we succeed. That battle between the flesh and the spirit. Father, we desire as your people to live transformed lives that bring you glory. And so help us, Father, in the temptation to live for ourselves, to live even for this world, that, Father, we would have the strength, have your strength to fight that, to lean into your trustworthy word, Father, to, to live by what you call us to. We cannot do it without your power in our life, Father. And so do that for us. May we be a church, a people, who live for you and not ourselves, who live for your glory and not our own, who live out your truth and not our own truth. And Father, may we see the fruits of our labor as we strive to do this in our own life, but also, Father, so that people would see it and they would believe that your word is trustworthy, that they would believe in your son for their salvation not in their own works, and by your grace and by your power that you would save them. We ask this, Father, in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing?